0: I recently saw an advertisement for a product that was marketed as a must-have. Companies use that language to advertise the latest and greatest products. Sometimes you'll see it's a must-read book. Or it's a must-have item, like they're must-have clothes, must-have shoes, must-have handbags, and must-have apps on your smart smartphone. Or, or hey, you're not in the game. But they've been extended beyond the world of merchandise. People now have must-haves about other people. Employers have a must-have list for new and potential employees. Graduates have a must-have list for potential jobs. And of course, the most infamous have a must-have list comes from the world of dating. Men have must-haves about women, and women have must-haves about men. Tra- <laughs> Tragically, most of them don't exist, you know. but. Must haves are, are essentials. They are the non negotiables. Our relationship with Jesus includes some must have essentials, a few non negotiables. Now, we're in a second week of our series talking about core beliefs of Christianity. These are essential to our identity as Christians. These are non negotiables, must haves of our faith. And last week, we talked about grace. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace, not by any works, lest we should brag or boast. So, uh, tragically, we live in a religious world of performance, and we said the moment you try to earn God's favor by performing, you come under the law, you put yourself back in court, the prosecuting attorney is always going to be able to say guilty, you can never do enough, know enough, succeeding enough, me moral enough, have enough. You can't do enough to ever know I've got God's approval or God's favor. So you always live condemned and under fear or shame or guilt. But the moment you accept Jesus Christ and His grace and mercy, you are now case dismissed. All charges dropped. You are acquitted pardoned, fully excused, and there is no condemnation against you. That is grace. That is something only Jesus gives us, and it's a non-negotiable. You can't earn it by blowing yourself up, by not eating pork, by praying five times to Mecca, or wearing or not wearing, or touching or not touching. Read Colossians, and Paul is just beating up some of the Hebrews who are under all these food laws, and dietary laws, and clothing laws, and day laws, and Sabbath laws, and just actually destroying them, saying, you're going to get favor with God, eternal life, by grace alone, through your simple faith in what Jesus did at the cross. Really, really simple. I find Christianity, biblical Christianity, irresistible. It's like a drum with a hole in it. You can't beat it. There's nothing that even comes close. That's pretty cool, I just think. Well... So, these core beliefs are non-negotiables. They're essentials. During the Protestant Reformation, these core beliefs were described as the five solas. Sola is the Latin word for alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible alone has the unique authority to speak to these issues. All of this is done to the glory of God alone. So, this week, part two, we're going to talk about Christ alone, or solus Christus, which means we are saved in, through, and by Jesus Christ alone. Now, sometimes slogging through some doctrine, it, it can't be as exciting as talking about vision and purpose and destiny and some other issues, but it's vitally important you know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, that's apologetics, and most Christians can't tell you, well, why do you do that? Well, why do you believe that? Well, I don't know. You know, uh, I learned that in church. Well, you might, I learned a lot of stuff in church, and half of it wasn't even true. So, you got to know for yourself what it says, and so there's just a few non-negotiable, and they're really good, and they're really smart. Grace alone is going to be the reason I inherit God's favor through what Jesus did for me. Secondly, acceptance by God and to God and being born again or saved is going to come through one door, Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to prove that this morning and see what the early church said about it and what Scripture says about it alone. Now, that belief that Jesus alone is a major doctrine of Christianity, goes all the way back to the early church. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. I didn't read Mary. I didn't read the Apostle Paul. I didn't see any other saints who are wonderful people, but their name isn't there. The only gateway to God is through Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus said, if you've seen Me, the Pharisees couldn't handle this. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. That's why they killed Him, not for being a preacher or teacher. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. He is the express image of God. Now God is a spirit. How does a spirit relate to a human being? He becomes a human. So, now you can touch Him and see Him and listen to Him and feel Him, and if you want to know what God's like, quit trying to compare Him to your bad father or your, your abusive stepfather. God is a good Father, and if you want to know what He's like, Jesus said, I came in incarnation so you could see me and watch what I do. So, just read the New Testament if you want to know how God feels about anything and how He would behave, and watch Jesus. Because He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You don't have to guess. If you wanted to relate to a roach, how would you relate to a roach as a human? You'd have to become a roach. You'd have to learn roach language. And so, Jesus said, I I have been, been touched with the feeling of your infirmity. He was tempted and tried in all areas, like as we are, yet without sin, Scripture says. You can't say, you don't know what I'm going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. And that's why He became flesh. Peter was testifying before the Sanhedrin, which was the high Jewish court in Jerusalem, and they interrogated Peter about a man whose legs that he had healed and how the man was saved. Here was Peter's reply. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He went on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So, if you hear nonsense, well, we all going to heaven, brother. We just going on different trains. You are nuts. At least you didn't get it out of the Bible. Jesus said, there's no other train given to men whereby we can be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus only. That's a core must-have belief of Christianity. You know, you can be wrong on a lot of things. You really can. can. You can be saved on your way to heaven. Be wrong on a whole bunch of stuff. But you miss Jesus, you miss it all. That is the key. Now, I know that statement's offensive in our culture today of political correctness. The claim that Jesus is the only way of salvation sounds arrogant or narrow-minded. And unfortunately, Christians have been guilty of being arrogant and narrow-minded, and often making wrong judgments about people without actually knowing them, and I would say self-righteous. But the church has not confessed salvation in Christ alone for over 2,000 years in order to be smug, arrogant, or narrow-minded. We confess this belief because of who Jesus is. He is unique. He is God in the flesh. So I want to walk through some only Jesus statements to remind us why He, Jesus, is unlike any other religious teacher or leader in human history. Number one, Jesus is the only God-man. There have been a lot of good men. There have been a lot of religious teachers throughout history, but only one was God-man. Only Jesus is fully God and fully human. We confess Him to be the second person of the Trinity. So He's not just another teacher or prophet. He's unlike any other teacher or prophet ever. He's God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And then He tells us something incredible about God. God understands us and our condition, and He cares. The fact that He became man in the person of Jesus Christ tells us He cares deeply about us. Sometimes we think God's too far away, too busy to care about our day-to-day lives. Jesus reminds us that is a total lie. God loves us enough to have become a human. He had a real body. He had real feelings. He had parents. He experienced real pain. He faced real hardship. He did not live a human life from a distance of humanity. He drew close. He moved into the neighborhood, you could say. He became one of us. Now, some of you in your past probably were in some long-distance relationship. I once dated a girl, it was so bad, I moved far away from her and had a long-distance relationship. (laughs) That's terrible, I know. But God doesn't do long-distance relationship. He draws near. He comes close to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, everybody else is trying to get to God. He's out there. i just got to get to Him somehow. And God comes near to man. God says, you can't even get close to me. You've got to be perfect. You're already shafted. You're finished. You're toast. I'll come to you. Try that, Muhammad. Try that, Buddha. Try that, Allah. Try that, uh, Hare Krishna. Try that, anybody. I'll come close to you. No, this mystical thing, he's somewhere. I don't know. I've got to try to get to him. I've got to perform. I've got to do this. But God doesn't do that. God says, I am close to you. he, he, He comes right to your door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock." I hear a lot about, I'm chasing God. I didn't know God's running from anybody. (laughs) That first verse, when man sinned, God says, Adam, where are you? Looks like God's chasing Adam. I'm not chasing God. He was chasing me until I finally surrendered and said yes to His love and to His offer of eternal life and forgiveness. Get out of this nonsense, I gotta, I'm, I'm, pers- I'm chasing God, like God is elusive and uh, evasive, like somebody you want to date, but you can't. can't get to them. They just keep avoiding you. God doesn't do that. Call on me. I will answer you. Yeah. He, he makes it so clear. He's available 24-7, right? He doesn't, he doesn't use caller ID. He knows who you are. Every hair on your head's numbered. He doesn't say, I'll take that later. He doesn't do that. We do that. So He's come close in the person of Jesus. There's no other God like this. Only Jesus is fully God and fully man, and because He's both God and man, He's close to you and me. Secondly, only Jesus lived a perfect, sinless human life. No one could condemn Him. Pilate said, I find no fault in Him. No one could condemn Him for any sin. He didn't gossip, didn't cheat, wasn't greedy. He wasn't racist. He broke the racial barriers in His earthly life. He didn't cheat, deceive, take advantage, or manipulate anybody. So Jesus is the only one who can deal with my sin. Now, I know sin's not a popular word in our politically correct culture as well. But you see its reality and effect every day, all the time. We just turned on the news. Fifty people shot and killed in a nightclub in Orlando at 2 a.m. in the morning. And to all you young adults out there from a guy who was in rock and roll business and the nightclub, there ain't nothing good that happens in the club at 2 a.m. in the morning. Get your ugly self home. Go home. Nothing good happens after midnight. Could I— From some of you that are sober this morning, would you give me an amen on that? That is a fact. Well, wide receiver got shot. He was in the club at 3. Oh, great. Great. What hangs out in the club at 3 a.m.? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they uh, they ain't having a Bible study at 3 a.m., Okay, so I want you safe and protected. Certainly, I want you to have fun. But hey, there's just nothing good that you ever get out of it. Sin is all around us. G.K. Chesterton wrote, sin is the only theological concept that can be 100% proven. Just look around. Boy, it's true. It's so true. Sin is, you know, why parents run out of patience with children. It's why people act promiscuously to deal with their loneliness. And the list goes on and on and on. So no matter how hard we try, no matter how many good deeds we try to do, no matter how much we try to modify our behavior, we simply can't atone for our sin or fix our sinful hearts. Have all of you parents noticed? On your first child, you didn't have a training seminar. You didn't let the child go to sleep with a tape or a CD that told them how to manipulate, how to, how to lie, how to cheat, how, how to defraud you. Well, I thought he was wet. He wasn't wet. He just wanted me to come in there. I mean, here's what the Bible says about babies. They go astray from their mother's womb. <laughs> Little liar. Yeah. Because they're born with a sin nature. We got it from Adam. And God says, you need a new birth. You got that sin nature out of a physical birth. You need a spiritual birth so I can get rid of that sin nature and give you a new nature. This is why we're born again, a spiritual birth. It's not flesh. It's spiritual birth. And so, the sin, by definition, is I can't fix it. We're part of the problem, and on our own, we're stuck. I found this interesting. The religion you choose will be based on the problem you think you have. If you think you're not smart enough, you'll choose a religion of enlightenment. If you think you're not good enough, you'll choose a religion of good deeds. I've got to visit eight hours on Saturday and hand out magazines. I've got to do, do, do. I can't have coffee. I can't have Coke. Right? And Jesus not what goes in a man that defiles Him. It's what comes out of Him. Yeah, right? So, so I'm not advocating eating something bad for you. I'm just saying to you, that's not what makes you bad. It comes out of a heart. You need a new heart. Out of the heart are the issues of life. And so, all mankind doesn't need a a new law. He needs a new heart. A, A law doesn't even make you obey it. I mean, take speeding, for example. I know. I have tickets to prove it. But a changed heart Changes the way you treat people, the way you behave, and the way you act. And God says, you don't need a new hairstyle. You don't need something new not to do. You need a brand new heart. That's a, ba- that's a real makeover. And God says, I'm going to make you a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And so, if you think you're not smart enough, or good enough, or moral enough, or successful enough, and there's nothing you can do on your own to ever be smart enough or good enough to relate to a holy and eternal God, you've got one choice. Jesus only. Only Jesus led a sinless life. Only Jesus is able to atone for our sins. Only Jesus could take our sin and nail it to the cross, giving us the power to be forgiven forever. Jesus is the one sacrifice for all, Hebrews says, and there remains no more sacrifice for sin. What do you have to do now to atone for sin as a believer? If you've accepted Jesus, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Well, that's liberating. I'm not performing. I've got God's eternal life. I've got God as my Father. I have His presence. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're not under condemnation. And, he, and I'm thinking, well, then why are you trying to sacrifice something so God will love you? Well, just visit churches. And even in the same denomination, the list of performance just changes, you know? Baptist churches have lists that are different depending on which one you go to. Whether you go to American Baptist, Primitive Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent Fundamental Premillennial Baptist, Bible Baptist, we can—that's just one denomination. They can't even get along with themselves. (laughs) They got list after list after list after list, and so do others. Pentecostals, Word of Faith, Holiness, they've all got jump lists and clipboards. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So it's been paid for once for all through Jesus. I don't have to blow myself up to go to paradise. I don't have to—well, stupid stuff. Number three, only Jesus conquered death. Boy, this is a big one. He was the only one raised from the dead. If you go back to the time of the first century, Jesus was not the first person who people believed to be Messiah. The one whom God would send to liberate Israel from Roman oppression. Scholars think there may have been five or six Messianic candidates who lived within a hundred years of Jesus' life. And there were certain patterns that these Messiah candidates espoused. They all called people to deepen their their faith. They all believed God would restore Israel's freedom. But can you guess what happened to all of these so-called Messiah candidates? Yeah, they died. They ended up either being killed by the Roman government or by some religious rival faction. Now, if your Messiah was killed, you got only two options. You can go out and join a dead Messiah recovery group, or you could try to find yourself a new and better Messiah, because following a dead Messiah means you're following the wrong Messiah. So when Jesus, the one who many believed was the true Messiah, was arrested, convicted, executed, and buried, what do you think His followers thought? They thought, we're toast. We're following the wrong guy. I thought He was Messiah. And it doesn't matter if He modeled compassion or morality or uh, openness or mercy or sacrifice. When Jesus died, his disciples all fled and all hid. They were devastated. They had lost their hope. They had lost their friend. But something remarkable happened, and we read about it in the historical records. The same people, the same people who watched Jesus die started to gather again, but they didn't gather to tell old stories for old times' sake. They left their occupations this time. They sold their possessions. They devoted the rest of their lives to one simple message. Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, on the third day was raised to life, and they even saw Him and talked with Him. They touched Him and ate meals with Him over a month and a half. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, after that He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul was essentially saying, hey, if you don't believe me, if you don't buy this, you can go talk to nearly 500 people who saw this, who walked with Him, who talked with Him, ate with Him after He rose from the dead. This isn't some secret rumor. These people are still alive. Jesus was raised from the dead. He's not like the dead Messiahs that came and went. He's the only resurrected Messiah. And all the great religious teachers have died, and their bones are still in the grave. They didn't come back. So Jesus is far different from any religious leader in history. And if He's not raised from the dead, we are wasting our time. Let's get boats. Let's go to the lake. Let's have fun. Right? I mean, seriously, eat, drink, and be merry. If We have no hope. Our hope is in vain if He's not raised from the dead. But when He came back, what? tore the place up, wasn't his teaching only. When he came back from the dead, they went, holy God praise God almighty it shook them up. They said I I don't have to be afraid to die. They turned the world upside down. They were burned at stakes. They were torn asunder. They were fed the lions. They didn't bend. They didn't buckle. They didn't bow. What made them so? I saw the son of God out of the grave. I've been with him. I ate with him. I touched him. Get off my case. And it changed the world. Now, that's what made them so radical. And he could have done it in one quick secret meeting, but it was public. And it was over a month and a half. Fourth point, only Jesus is Lord. Now that's important. After the resurrection, Jesus' followers began talking about Him in a very particular way. They did not simply address Him as Jesus. They called Him Lord Jesus. Now you may wonder why that's significant. It's not just a term of respect. Unlike the Roman neighbors who were polyistic — they had many, many gods — the Israelites worshiped the one true God, Yahweh. He gave His name to Moses, Yahweh. Jesus used that word when He said, I am, and those soldiers fell dead at His feet, unconscious. They were standing in the presence of Yahweh, God. By the way, God's name is not Allah. It is only Yahweh. This is very important for you. Which God are you worshiping? That word has become generic. But Yahweh, the Greek word used to translate Yahweh, the name of God, was the word kurios, which means Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, the name of God was the word kurios, which means Lord. And because they reserved all their worship for the one true God, Yahweh, it meant there could be only one person who was called Lord. Only Yahweh could be called the Lord. They could only be one kurios. When Paul met Jesus in a blinding light on the road to Damascus and he hit the ground, first words, Lord, what would you have me do? He saw the Son of God long raised from the dead after He's on the road persecuting, jailing, and condemning to death Christians. And God used this guy to write like 75% of the New Testament. When I was a kid, one of the games we used to play was King of the Mountain. You'd stand on a little hill or a mound of dirt. Other kids would run up and try to push you off the top. If they could push you off the top, then they'd be King of the Mountain. So Paul's saying there can only be one king of the mountain, and the same is true for the word curios. There's only one Lord, Yahweh, the one true God. And when Jesus walked out of the grave, everybody called him Curios Lord. Acts four says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Stephen, who is being stoned to death. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is St. Paul. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul addresses Jesus as Lord throughout all of his letters, his epistles. And built into this one word is the unthinkable claim that Jesus is the one true God. He's Lord. He's Kurios. He is Yahweh. And when these early Christians call Him Lord, it was not just a doctrinal statement. It was a statement about how they were now going to live their lives. They weren't just calling Him God. They were giving Him authority over their lives because they knew this is the only 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 one that has the power to save, to heal nations, to restore marriages, to free us from addiction. Only Jesus has the power to deliver us, to renew our brokenness, to transform us, so only Jesus can be trusted as Lord of your life. He's never hiding from you, holding back something. He gives us everything. He gives us Himself. Now everybody looks to something or someone as curios. We all trust our lives, our wealth, our significance, and our success into the hands of something or someone. We all serve something as our Lord. You know, sure, I can worship on Sunday. I can participate in church relationships. But do I give Him full control of my work aspirations, my financial life, my relationships? You know, only Jesus can be Lord of your life. Only Jesus can forgive you. I can pray for you. I can't forgive you. He can forgive you. And you have direct access to Him. Some of you come from different religious backgrounds. I know. You don't read the Bible. I remember growing up in church. I didn't read it either. I just read the bulletin. That was about it. And I'm just simply saying, boy, Paul writing to Timothy says, there is one God, Uno, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So some of you, some of the best people I ever met in my life come from a Catholic background, and you're here. You are deeply loved. But never did anybody pray to Mary. Never did anybody pray to St. Paul or St. Peter. That came much later as the Dark Ages spread over the church. And I'm telling you, God made it real clear. I mean, some things are not clear in the Bible, but there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's pretty simple. I mean, even might understand that. Just one mediator. So who's my go-between? Well, I'm going to talk to his mother and get in good with him so he'll receive me. No, that ain't going to work. She had to have a Savior too. She's a beautiful woman, precious woman, a virgin woman, chosen by God. We revere her, but she's not God, and she can't save you. So, so, so you might want to take it off the dash of your car. Just put a picture of your mother-in-law up there or something. It'd be about as good. And realize there's just one go-between, and he gives you full access to the Father through him. This is what's so simple. Only Jesus can be trusted as Lord. There's nobody like Jesus. Never been anybody like Him. Nobody can do what Jesus does. You've been around church a good while. You like songs, maybe stories, maybe some messages. But sometimes we lose sight of why we really are here and why we came in the first place. We lose sight of what we need the most, which is a relationship with Jesus. Only Jesus can save us, heal us, and be Lord of our lives. And fifth. And last, only Jesus can give you a relationship with God. He is the only one who offers us a relationship with a loving God. Embedded in every other religion or way of life on earth, on every other philosophy, is some way of our finding God. Jesus is not just your way to find God, He is God who's come to find you. He's come to seek and save that which was lost. I don't read about Buddha coming for me. I don't read about Allah coming for me. I don't read about Hare Krishna coming for me. Do you? I don't see anybody trying to get to me. But God does His best to come to you. He's come to you to find you today, no matter what you bring into this place, no matter what's going on in your life. Jesus finds us in dark, stinky, messy places. I was just talking to Nico and... George, uh, earlier, uh, we had spoken a week ago or so about it, but, you know, our God is so confident. He allows you to disobey Him. He may not approve your behavior, but He won't kill you, nor does Christianity, neither is it legitimized to kill others who may be living in a different lifestyle or value than what God tells you. Nowhere does he sanction killing those people. Sharia law, with the Islamic community, advocates killing them. And the gunman that just shot 50 people is an Islamic terrorist. And they believe that's the right thing to do, to kill homosexuals. Now, we've got probably in this church adulterers, fornicators, and probably homosexuals. But you can rest assured, you're welcome to be here. You're welcome to hear good news, and nobody's gonna kill you. God isn't gonna do that. People are just stupid. They look at the media, and the media slants everything. That's which channel you watch, They just slant it. Be, don't lose your mind. Be Think. Be, be, even the Bible talks about, you know, he commended the Bereans for searching the Word of God to see what the apostles preached was true. He commended them, boy. So, you search to see what is true. And if it's just an opinion, I'm going to tell you it's just an opinion. If it's clear Scripture, you got me. Otherwise, it's just an opinion, just some prejudice, something in your own conscience. So, Jesus finds us in messy, dark, nasty places, doubt, depression, sin, shame. But He's the only God who says, I love you, and I want to be with you so much, I'd rather die than lose you. Buddha never said that. Jesus said that. I willingly will die for you rather than lose you. Who could resist that kind of love? This is the amazing Jesus. That's why He took the cross on His back. That's why He walked up that hill called Calvary and gave His life for you and me. He's King of the mountain. And there is only one Lord and one King and one God, and His name is Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen and hallelujah. Well— You know, I've been asked sometimes, well, how can I know—I need proof. How can I know that for sure? You've got to take a step of faith. You know, it is—we're saved by grace through a simple step of faith, and that's a risk. I was at a friend's wedding, and you can see the incredible joy and excitement in the couple's eyes. They dreamed about the day. They planned for it. They spent hours planning for that day. They forced their parents out of retirement to pay for that day. And when it came time to take their vows, they said to each other, I will love you for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health. But you know what? They couldn't prove what they just said. There was no way to prove that kind of love until you receive it and then live in it. The only way to receive that is to take a risk and say yes to it. And same for Jesus. You've got to trust Him, take a step of faith, and invite Him into your heart. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll let Him in, He promises to love you forever, even when you're naughty. Even when you've had a rotten, lousy, low-down day, I will never leave you or forsake you. I remember my grandmother used to say, Ricky, if you go in that barn shoot pool, the Lord isn't going with you. You know, my grandmother loved Jesus, and she's with Him in Heaven. I loved her. She raised me, but Grandma, you, you, weren't. you were wrong. <laughs> Every nasty place I ever went, Jesus went with me. Yeah. If you read the Psalms, He'll tell you, where can you go to escape His presence? In heaven, in hell, in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there is His presence. He's omnipresent. So He didn't leave me at the pool hall. Now in my day, it was a pool hall. That was the most wicked place you could go was a pool hall. That was the nightclub. And, uh, and then, or going to a movie, she talked about it. Uh, bless her little heart. She also told me if I drank milk with fish, it poison me. But I love my grandmother. She, she, she was the one who really got me in the Word, taking me to church. God bless her for that. She really did. But uh, some of the teaching wasn't real good. So only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. But you have to decide if He's going to be your Lord. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.